Kyler McDaniel from Fangraphs.com. And on the other line, he's rising up boards, but his swing is best described as defeated. It's Eric Longenhagen. <laughs> Hello. Which boards am I rising on? Yeah, that's one of those phrases that I feel like people throw around a lot. I don't know. I, I'd like to think I don't, but when I hear it, I immediately just cringe where it's almost like shorthand for this this guy's good, but you have to you have to phrase it in terms of the 30 boards, which nobody really knows anything about. Uh, do you want to – do you have any other like pet peeve phrases that you try to avoid in the writing? Because I know I do. Yeah, like all all of those ones that it's like someone who has no uh, specific knowledge of the topic, whether it's you know football draft, baseball draft, whatever, um, says like, oh, it's a hot name. It's a name that's rising. Like all of those sort of nothing phrases. I feel like those are the ones that I, I zero in on. Uh, player X's opening eyes. Yep. That's the thing that I yep. try to avoid. Um, scouts say – I try to like be a little bit more specific than that. Um but uh, I'm trying to think. They're they're like as I as I write them myself and then go, oh no, that's bad. Do better than that. Uh, there seem like there it seems like there are countless phrases like that, and they're escaping me right now. And also, when you're writing like hundreds and hundreds of reports every month, like there's it's it's very easy to fall into those because you're like mm-hmm. trying to convey something and you see it a lot, and so it's kind of in the back of your head, and then you write it, and hopefully most of the time we catch ourselves and we'll, and we'll be like, oh, that's. Like, not necessarily it reads terribly. Like, people understand what you're saying, but it just sounds dumb. It sounds like a dumb person says it. Don't say, don't say uh, vague things. Like, be, you know, like, be specific, I guess. Yeah, and we've, always, to, we've always said, like, the scouts are worried bad. about his makeup is, like, one of the worst things you can say. Because it's not specific at all, and it just sort of, right. like, casts doubt over everything. And it, people imagine it means murder when it usually means, like, oh, he's just, like, sort of quiet. Is usually what it means. Right, yeah, like I mean, stuff phrases like makeup is the thing that we talk we talk about a lot on the show. Where it's just like, um, not that we talk about a lot of anything on the show because we don't do very many of them. But uh, but it's yeah, it's vague. It can mean different things to different people. And I um, found, especially in chats, people always assume the absolute worst. Like if somebody says like, oh, compare these two guys' makeup, and one is known to be like you know David Eckstein or Ichiro or something that's an eighty, and like and then this other guy, and I'm like, oh, well, like Ichiro's is better, and they're like, oh, so th- like this guy's been arrested ten times. It's like. No, you could have, like, 50 makeup and it'd be worse than someone else, and it's, like, perfectly new. Like, I was actually right. comparing notes. Like, I won't say who it is yet because I'll probably figure out a way to get it in the report. But there's a prospect in, that's probably going to go in the top ten this year where uh, – <laughs> I was going to say scouts say. Um, <laughs> the scouts that I have talked to that have had in-home meetings uh, are basically, like, it's 50 makeup. Some people might say it's 40. Some people might say it's 55 or 60. I think it's 50. And then they describe some of the things. And it's, like, mainly, like, oh, he's, like, kind of quiet. And for a top 10 pick, you'd like to feel like you have plus makeup. And the fact that his average is almost seen as a negative. Um, and, like, this person okay. described, like, Carlos Correa was, like, a 70. Um, right. And, like, told some stories. Bregman. Yeah, there's some guys where even just, like, watching a guy... Like, sometimes you'll get told, this guy has great makeup, and then you watch him with that in mind, and you can, like, see it on the field when you're paying attention. And similar ways, like, oh, this guy is not liked by his teammates, and you can watch a pitcher, and just by, like, his body language and stuff, you can be like, oh, yeah, it seems like those guys don't like him. And a lot of times, if you just get the hint, you can pick up on it very quickly. And often, if you're not told, it, like, takes much longer to figure out. But I was comparing... I was uh, sending uh, messages to Meg, like, hey, if I were to write this in a report about a kid's makeup like would this be unfair and she was like no that sounds about right like we can workshop that because i was like yeah because i'm like talking to guys and we're like trying to workshop the language because they know the challenge i have 
trying to write this thing, but it also feels like something that needs to be mentioned because if this guy slides a little bit, it might be because people are just hesitant to pull the trigger. And there are other guys that have been picked high in that same area. Some teams evaluated the makeup in the same way um, teams are evaluating this guy's makeup, and they've done fantastically. And so it's been like a bad read, and that happens sometimes. And I feel like that should be mentioned too. I was near a scout uh, this week and saw like the card, like saw the sheet that he was taking his notes on, and the makeup section of the card had it split into several different like subcategories. Like effort level and baseball IQ, and uh, I had three of them remembered, and now I it's just been reduced to two. But it was like split into different categories, which I thought was was pretty interesting. Um, how would you describe my makeup? Anyway, our next topic is gonna. Be... <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like I think about makeup in such um, like baseball specific terms that a lot of times if a scout doesn't want to say uh, the specific makeup thing that they are, you know, concerned about or whatever, I'll be like, on-field or off-field? And they'll be like, off-field. And I'll be like, do you think it'll affect him on-field? And they'll be like, eh, probably not, but it, like, worries me a little bit. Uh, and I was like, okay, I, I can work with that. Like, that's enough detail that I can understand, like, the category that this falls into. But, like, they don't want to tell me, hey, I heard that, you know, this high school player got super drunk. Like, they don't want to say that because then they... They're worried it might get reported, and then they're giving away a specific note that could get mentioned in their room, and then they'll be outed as right. the source, and, like, they don't want to embarrass the kid. And so, like, they're very hesitant to say specific stuff, but it's usually, like, if you just give me a category, like, that's enough for me to, to feel like, is this a big negative or a big positive or a neutral or I need more or, or whatever. And so, like, obviously, we try to get as much of that stuff as we can. It's not always easy to get it, but when it's, like, a guy in the top ten where every team has gone in for a visit and 20 teams have no shot at him... They don't mind telling you, yeah, it's a little weird, but it's not bad. And that's usually enough for us to be like, okay, it's a 50. We'll, we'll take it. Um, what, have you, what have you been up to? <laughs> I mean, I know the answer to this. but <laughs> uh, So we're recording on Wednesday. I just got home from seeing C.J. C. Abrams' playoff game. If um, eagle-eyed uh, listeners of this podcast. Actually, I, I might not have said it on the podcast. I went to see his playoff doubleheader last week also, so I only stayed for BP infield and like two ABs um, and then came home. Uh, I was mainly going, as we've talked about in the past, sometimes you just go to a game and see who's there. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, I just basically went to see who was there because we're in the middle of working on a mock draft and like basically right where Abrams is in play is where things get a little difficult to predict. And so if certain teams send no one to this game, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Um, but it turned out the attendance at the game today was, let's see, two, three, four, five. I think it was basically the entire top ten except for one was there in some fashion. And, like, three of those teams were there, like, in force. And when I tweeted I was at that game, I was getting texts from all of the other teams in the top ten that didn't have a <laughs> bunch of guys there. Like, hey, which guys are there? <laughs> and then, like, hey, how's the first couple APs going? And then when one of them asked, like, how's the third AP going? I'm like, I'm not there anymore because I got, like, eight hard contacts of some kind last week like i'm good right um and it was like he's facing a guy throwing like 82 85 it's, and it was just like all right this isn't really going to tell me much more than last week's going to tell me yeah it is that time of year where uh you know all all of the area scouts that i know pretty well knew where i was on friday because ucla is in town but they're rapid like they've mostly wrapped up the college stuff you know if anyone's going to break late at this point it's probably a junior college or like a high school arm or something like that and so that's where those scouts are spending their time but they want to know who has heat in to see like alec marsh on a friday night against ucla 
um, it is just that time of year where it is officially time to start kind of looking around and um, I, you know, on Sunday at uh, UCLA ASU, I zoomed in down the line and like took high speed of, of where all the scouts were like just zoomed in to look at later and see who was there and stuff. And um, yeah, it's it's just that time of year to, to start thinking about things in that way. Whereas earlier in the year, it's still just due diligence coverage. People still trying to feel things out. Um, now it's about more than that. Yeah, area guys doing the due What's diligence on, on the makeup to find out if they want to send in their bosses for their second, third looks. Like, yeah. So today I was at CJ Abrams. Uh, last week I also on Thursday uh, I got both ends of Abrams doubleheader. Uh, and between those games, I went to Florida Georgia for one day. I meant to. Well, I got there for the second day. It, it was started raining right as I got there, and then I rushed up to Vanderbilt, South Carolina, um, to make that my sort of makeup game. That also got rained out. So then I went to. The Columbia Fireflies minor league game against Lexington. I got three hours or three innings of that, and then that one got rained out. And then the next day, I got um, about half. Uh, I got a full Vandy South Carolina makeup game, and then I got about half of the Lexington Columbia uh, makeup game. And then I was like, "That's probably enough. I think I'll just come home now." That's pretty good. Um, and I got a yeah, crazy, I- crazy run lined up this week, but I won't bore you with that one because it might get rained out, and I don't want to jinx it. Yes, so that has been – have you spoken with people – like most of the people in the Northeast especially uh, who I've spoken to have said that it's been an unusually rainy spring, uh, five or six Friday nights in a row when the Northeast were just rained out. Um, when I was up there between podcasts, uh, my schedule was derailed by – a couple things, or at least maybe not derailed, but made less efficient by a few things, and one of them was rain. Uh, the other was Vlad Jr.'s promotion, and then um, it seemed like I was going to get Casey Mize's first double-A start as a consolation prize, uh, and then he was pushed past my flight by uh, rain. But yeah, like, you and I, I think we've, we've been all over the place. We've seen everybody... Um, high on the draft list except for J.J. Goss, who we saw a lot over the summer, um, and Quinn Priester, who you're going to try to see next week. Yeah, um, if we, if we uh, include who we project to see between now and the draft, it looks like the the highest-ranked guys that we will not see this spring uh, right now is 28, J.J. Goss, we both have seen a bunch of times, um, 34, Matthew Lugo, who I've probably seen three or four times, just not this spring, and then a couple guys like sort of in the 40 to 50 area. Uh, but really just a handful of guys even in the top 50. That, and so, I, think, I don't think – and we would have seen all of them at some point uh, and just a handful of yeah. – like less than 10 we would have missed this spring. Uh, do you want to go down our board as it's constituted right now and, and each – like whoever has seen Player X uh, just kind of run down where they're – where they kind of fit in this, like the first round mix right now, I guess. Yeah, we should say that uh, we're working on a mock draft for probably right. Monday. I'm going to guess this podcast will come out on Thursday. So there's like probably some dope that we know that has not been reported that we're intentionally keeping out of chats that might come out during this. Uh, but yeah, I feel like we could almost do this in like a scaled down way of how the draft room works, which would be like, let's say you're the area scout that covers both Rutschman and Vaughn. We're one and two on our board, and I have not seen either this spring. I saw them both over the summer. Um, the way the sort of presentations work in the room, which I know some teams are doing this this week, uh, where the area guy sits there mm-hmm. and goes through all of like the sort of top 10 round players in his area and will take, you know, depending on how good the player is. Like if it's Rutschman, it might be two minutes. 
and just say, here's what the five tools are, here's what I've had in history, here's the sort of trajectory, here's, you know, sort of the signability, the makeup, like, here's what you've done this year, these are the things I think it needs to work on, and all that sort of stuff. Like, I feel like that would be useful to go through with Rush Vaughn, because I feel like you've got sort of multi-year history with them as well. Sure. Um, yeah, like Rutschman, we you and I, I think both think is the odds-on favorite to go one. Uh, he's one of the best college players of the last decade. It's a switch hitting catcher with power and field to hit from both sides of the plate. He's a plus plus receiver. He's like a vocal team leader, and um, the arm strength has been like the reports are mixed. He was plus for me in February when I saw him. Uh, when I saw him against ASU, I did not get. Uh, a clean pop time. I don't think anybody even tried to run on him. Um, and there might be some medical stuff from his football career, uh, but otherwise we, we think he's in a tier of his own above the rest of the class. Um, Vaughn at two. You know, Vaughn was Golden Spikes winner as a sophomore, got off to a really hot start as a junior. The rest of Cal um, is not great talent-wise. There's some other guys on the team who are like, day two types um but as a result vaughn has seen like a lot of breaking stuff and since entering pac 12 play hasn't really hit a whole lot it is a right right first base profile which really doesn't pan out very often um but has been has been a little bit more successful recently for a while it was just eric karos uh and then in like the last 10 years goldschmidt pete alonso um reese hoskins uh, they've they've done okay. Vaughn's track record of hitting is really strong. I have a, like a Paul Konerko comp on him, um, which someone smart told me is like light. Um, but uh, but yeah, I really like Andrew Vaughn. Think he's very safe, like quick moving, everyday first base uh, type. And I'll say the guys I've talked to about Vaughn not being uh, like sort of super fantastic in the performance lately is very similar to what happened to Joey Bart last spring. Uh, obviously, Vaughn's like a better hitter, and so the numbers shouldn't line up exactly the same. Um, right. But that Bart was uh, really performing, was a power over hit guy to begin with, but then was getting pitched around a lot, then sort of changed his approach, like was trying to figure out ways to like sort of help his team win and doing things that weren't um, you know lo- long-term viable at the position and also included more strikeouts. And so it, some teams would go in there and say, and eh, I'm not sure this guy's going to hit. And then the teams that were really on him and really paying attention and had sort of a beat on where he was mentally were like, yeah, it doesn't look great right now, but we've seen it really good. We know the kid and we think it's going to be fine. And I think that's probably what's going on with Vaughn. It's just, you know, Bart is a giant dude with like plus plus makeup that's like a plus defender. And this guy's like a squatty right, right first baseman. So there's just like a little less margin for error if it turns out they're wrong about that. Yeah, but I... He's one of those guys who you really start to get sold on over multiple viewings because you start to see how refined the approach is and that this guy only really swings at stuff that he can drive early in counts. Uh, And so he's going to walk a ton and hit for every last ounce of raw power like in games. It's just such a good uh, feel to hit and approach. So, yeah, I think we're both in on Vaughn. He might be in like a second tier on his own. Like this is... We have a 60 future value on Rutschman and then uh, like seven fifties. Um, Vaughn, you could make the case of this group um, is one of the few who maybe belongs in a, in a 55 future value tier, which is where we had Bart last year. And I guess where we had Pete Alonso, was he a high 50 or a low 55 this year? He was a high 50. Yeah. So yeah, he's right in that area. And obviously Brandon Lau, I guess was the highest 50. And then like after two yes. more weeks, we're like, ah, he probably should have been a 55. <laughs> 
Yeah, he's striking out. Lau's striking out like a 32% clip and is still just absolutely crushing. He's slugging like 590 or something. Uh, so the next two guys, uh, Bobby Witt Jr., who I saw very briefly this spring, but I've talked to a lot of guys about him, and then C.J. Abrams, who I've obviously seen a lot. Um, they obviously get lumped together, being sort of older for the class, prep shortstops with like long track records. The I mentioned this in today's chat, but one of the interesting things here is like traditionally when you talk about um, you know two players, you'd say, oh, this guy is safer, more polished, better hit tool. Uh, he's like closer to becoming what he's going to be in the big leagues. Like that all sort of gets lumped together. Uh, and the interesting thing here is that Bobby Witt, who is you know sort of compared to Trevor Story, like enough hit tool, um, shortstop, athlete, uh, maybe even very good defensively at short, depending on kind of who you ask, and then yeah. big power that he gets to in games. It's like that sort of player. And then C.J. Abrams, uh, I've sort of said and have gotten positive feedback the last couple weeks telling people, it's the first time I saw this guy, I'm like, oh, that guy looks like Kenny Lofton. Uh, and I don't even think it's like the sort of lazy, like, black guy compared to black guy stuff. Like, the the actions to the swing and the finish and, like, the first step out of the box. And he's an 80 runner and he's got sort of sneaky power, but he's kind of a gap guy. Like, it's it does a lot of the same things. Um, so Abrams is is that sort of player. Uh, but recently, and I saw his BP today, it's like 55 raw power now, probably 60 future as he sort of fills out. But it is currently not that sort of approach or swing to tap into it. Whereas Wit is probably like a 60, 65 now in future. Um, and he like knows how to tap into it and is sort of regularly doing it and, and sort of has been doing it for a while. Um, so the thought is that even though Abrams is projects to be a better bat, because I think the thought is it might be a six bat, four game power type guy. Yep. Um that he actually is more raw, has more to do from here to what he's going to be, has different adjustments he could consider, and all that sort of stuff, uh, but projects as a six bat, whereas Wit projects as a five bat, but is sort of a finished product. And so in this case, the guy that like is um, raw and has stuff to do to sort of get to what he needs to be and may consider some changes is actually the better hitter, which is very unusual. And I like describe that exact thing to a scout today and he was like yeah no that's right <laughs> and i was like and that strike sheet was weird also he's like yeah no that is weird like now that you say it i hadn't thought of it but but that's not normally how it works out um and abrams may not be a shortstop his actions are fine he's definitely enough of an athlete some guys think he's an eight runner with six power which uh when i look that up <laughs> it basically doesn't exist jordan adams is the only guy in the entire minor leagues that has those two tools and right he's exactly an eight runner that we think will one day have six power um, and does not currently. And he also had almost no experience playing baseball and was sort of drafted because he was an athlete. And Abrams is a guy with a long track record of hitting who's a left-hand hitter and might be a shortstop and has those kind of tools. So that kind of tells you why that guy can be sort of, I wouldn't say unrefined or raw, but just sort of has some things he could change about his game, whether it's putting more loft in a swing or um, just sort of be being more consistent mechanically. Um, and he could, you know, might be a second baseman, um, could be a center fielder. Um, and there's some similarities to Xavier Edwards from last year too, but it's just sort of more explosive and bigger and sort of more power and more upside. Yeah, this is the name that is seems to have the widest bar, like uh, potential landing spots in the top 10 based on who you saw there and who we know has been in there to see him over the last couple of weeks. He is mentioned as, like, if Baltimore doesn't like Rutschman's medical or wants to cut a deal at one, which is what uh, Mike Elias did several times while he was with Houston, um, that this might be the guy to do it with because it seems like Vaughn and Witt are kind of locked into the top few spots. 
Uh, this is a guy where there might be a deal to be had that le- gives you, you know, another million, uh, two million later in the draft, kind of spread around and uh, nab another prep arm or something like that. So uh, high variance as to where Abrams goes uh, in the top ten. Um, then fifth on the list is JJ Blade, who has moved basically from like the co- you and I have both seen Blade. He's moved basically from the comp round. Uh, from like when we posted our rankings in the winter um, into the top 10 just because he has really, really hit. He was one of the guys who when we f- posted our initial draft of the list, uh, people in, in, on the amateur side were telling us to move him up. I was like lukewarm on the tools. He was hurt a little bit uh, in 2018 though, right? Yeah, and um, I, I also got advice to move him up and down. That's how I knew we had him in about the right spot because some guys <laughs> thought he should be 20, some guys thought he should be 50. And we had him like 30-something. I'm like, all right, that seems right for now. And then like three weeks later, it was like, oh, we're low on this guy. I thought it was just a generic SEC performance bat, someone who would go around the same place that like Kyle Isbell did last year is sort of how I regarded Blade. Um, he's a little more physical than that. There's there's more power than that. And he has really performed against the best conference in college baseball. Um, so, yeah, he has definitely moved up and would seem to be – in play in the middle of the top 10 it's a plus arm it's a pretty traditional right field profile with a little bit more feel to hit than is typical for that um he could be you know fast moving uh college hitter just like vaughn and rutschman so um it would seem to be in play especially you know there's not a whole lot of need based drafting in um in baseball but if if one of those teams in the top 10 liked him and was competitive soon like think about the braves picking um uh, the uh, Carter Stewart comp pick or like the Padres at six have a competitive big league team uh, and should for the next few years. Like it's a guy like this who's a little bit better fit uh, as far as the timeline is concerned. So I feel like those are the guys that are sort of slam dunk top 100s will sort of go in the top five picks it sounds like. And then beyond that there's like I think a much more guesswork like Nick Lodolo looked like he was going to be the top pitcher and be in this mix. He hasn't been great lately or has been off and on. Uh, Riley Green was, has also been not so great lately. Corbin Carroll, it sounds like, could slide all the way to the middle of the first round, depending on who you ask, because he's not facing fantastic competition in Washington. Hunter Bishop. He's done now, too. Yeah, Hunter Bishop, obviously, Eric uh, has him in his backyard, but there's like not a ton of track record, but he's been hitting a lot this year. Uh, Bryson Stott, some guys are getting mixed looks. He plays in a hitter-friendly park. He wasn't very good over the summer, where most people got their first looks. Like, There's a lot of sort of guesswork beyond there, but I feel like those top five are the ones where the industry kind of has consistent feelings about those guys. I would agree with that. I think, yes, certainly on Lodolo, it's inconsistent. Uh, I'm not a huge Lodolo guy. I just don't think that the, the fastball plays in the zone and I don't think the breaking ball utility is uh, versatile. I think she's just can dump it in first strike. That's really all it does. It's pretty looking. I think the changeup is will be the swing and miss pitch. If there is one uh, green. Yeah. Green is like the polished high school bat. He's basically Jared Kelnick last year, but with a with a significantly less uh, chances of staying in center field, right? Like it's the most advanced uh, high school bat who who mashed all summer, but the body's very mature and he's going to be in a corner. Uh, Corbin Carroll, yeah, like we love him, uh, but teams don't see him like opening up and pulling the ball for power. Uh, he is like a slightly souped up version of Alec Thomas from last year. He's a little bit more physical, has a little bit more all fields power. All right, so Eric, we're working on a mock draft. Uh, we've been sending some stuff around, sort of tweaking it. Uh, like I said before, I think we're going to 
have that come on Monday. What are some, I guess, general challenges or even specific teams that you have found challenging to try to project this year? Uh, yeah, the sifting through BS is a thing that we have to do during this process. Uh, we're talking to people with teams. We're talking to area scouts who you know are see- seeing uh, decision-making people at games. We're talking to agents. Um, anywhere there's an avenue of viable information, we're pursuing it to try to you know get a better feel for what might happen. And then we're also applying logic, like like so at um, at one. Um, logically, it would make sense for the Orioles to explore ways to try to cut a deal at one. Um, the way, in this instance, that it seems to make sense is it feels like Bobby Wood Jr. is locked in pretty strongly at two. Uh, or at least if you believe that to be true, then you might be able to leverage one of Vaughn and Rushman into taking something close to slot at three uh, because they otherwise wouldn't be able to do better than that if they're not the pick at one. So, like, it's little stuff like that. And Michael um, Elias, what he's done when he was in Houston, which was, you know, Colin Moran was sitting there as the underslot option that they didn't take, and you could argue whether they took it actually that seriously, but, like, he was an option, and so, like, they're going to have an option. Right, and same thing uh, with Carlos Correa. Max Freed seemed to have been an option, um, whereas, like, Byron Buxton's number, it sounds it seems like it was too high for them to consider him, given some of the other concerns about, like, his bat they just decided to take one of these cheaper options among the the group of players that they had evaluated uh, pretty similarly. So, like, yeah, it is about, like, having a history with the individuals making these decisions um, and then also, like, just trying to apply uh, logic to the situation, try to figure out how teams are going to behave. Um, As far as individual teams that have been tough, Texas has been tough. Um we have, you know, obvious feel for what Texas likes to do in general. They like their big-bodied dudes. They like monster frames and athletes that they can uh, try to develop. But that hasn't gone uh, especially well lately. So we don't know if they'll try to divert from that. It doesn't seem to be a thing that they've done. You know, recently last year's draft, uh, uh, they've had some injuries. Like Owen White has already had TJ. Mason Englert has already has TJ. Um, but like Jonathan Ornelas is playing really, really well. Uh, Colwyn was really great value at 15. So like, I think they're doing fine. Um, but yeah, I don't have, like have specific intelligence about what Texas is planning on doing. Uh, I might. Uh, we'll <laughs> we'll see if by the time the mock comes out that we actually feel good about it. Uh, but it almost feels like the the vacuum of information there um, may eventually be le- leading to. Like, I almost feel like teams that are picking around there want to know what Texas is doing in the same way everyone sort of generally wants to know. And so the teams around there may slowly be figuring out, well, these are the games they're at. And there was one specific instance of their director going to an unusual game at a time when he could have been in a lot of places that seemed to sort of tip their hand a bit. Um, But I don't want to give away what's going to be in the mock. The other one is Arizona. Because they have all the picks uh, and they've cast such a wide net you know, like people from the pro department and stuff have been at games. Uh, I've had people tell me multiple places that Mike Hazen has been in the last couple of right. years. He's been seen at, I think more games than he usually would be at. Uh, it's such a huge deal for the franchise. It is, you know, in my opinion, this draft class for Arizona is, uh, like the most, is the single most important talent acquisition period for a team. And like, I don't even know 
how long? Like, when's the last time a team was like sort of had one foot in and out of a rebuild, had a group of interesting prospects at the lower levels that they were about to add a huge class to? Um, I mean, Kansas City last year was the team who had all the picks and all the money and ended up doing like a chalk college value pick thing, which I don't dislike, but it you know wasn't what we expected. We expected them to kind of mix it up at least, if not sign a bunch of overslot high schoolers. Uh, now Arizona's in that position this year, and I just have like no feel for what they're going to do because I've like seen so much heat at so many games. Three people at Keone Cavaco, uh, several executives at Corbin Carroll, Zach Granke watching college games, like people in the pro department catching midweek college games, and you know watching hitters on Sundays and stuff. Like um, it's been a lot it's like so much that i'm having a hard time sifting through and and kind of getting a feel for what it is they're doing they can kind of do whatever they want and in the past like uh i guess even last year kansas city we thought they were going to go like maybe not high school heavy but like at least 50 percent, if not more and like they were seeing like you know multiple guys at like kumar rocker and like all the guys that would be like their type of guy and then there's like an abrupt change of direction where it was all college pitching and you're like wait, was this the plan the whole time and they were just going to these games just to check in or they're going to these games just to be seen there to throw us off? Or was no. it like they thought they were taking high school and then like suddenly in the room it was like we're taking college, which I think is what most people guess. I just think that uh, Brady Singer they thought was great value at 14 and they took him. And I just think that they just looked at the board and that each of them was just good value. It just reeked of, wow, this guy is eighth on our board and he's here at 14 and you know Jackson Kowar is... 18th on our board and he's here like in the sandwich round like i just think that that's how it shook out um but yeah the um i don't know some of the other teams we've got more on than others but uh it's still early like in the next couple weeks we're gonna see you know people like games late like we did last year and it's gonna make a difference as far as understanding what's going to happen and just like all the if then scenarios you know like if this person goes here then that the way the dominoes fall after that um that's as important. That's as important a part of the mock as like whatever player's name is next to the the team. Um, People because like you can read the comment underneath the pick and tell if you know what you're talking about or not. But like the you know like last year with um, like San Diego at seven, we had like Weathers with San Diego all spring, and then in our final mock we put Libby there, uh, and like we were wrong, you know. But we we had good intel throughout the spring and just. You got to pick one or the other, and we pick the wrong right. One. You have to pick one. There were a couple where we just like had it down to two, and we just picked the wrong one. Yeah. Do you have any? Do you have any final thoughts, Eric? No. Um, it's just. <laughs> I have no it's thoughts. It's just. A, it's just the stretch run for a bunch of stuff. Everyone, go check out the Padres list on the site. It is very long and took a lot of time. Um, and we'll wrap up the last few lists in the next like week to ten days. And uh, just have focus on draft coverage between now and the day. And I'm very excited to see new players <laughs> get picked. I don't know. I'm just it, – it's just I've got games to go see and I'm, like, ready to go do them. I don't know. I'm going to do um, – I'm going to, like, pick up some random SoCal schools. I'm going to see Stanford. I'm going to see uh, the WAC tournament. And I'm going to see Bryson Stott series. And that's what I've got on the docket for the next uh, little bit, probably before we record another show. So that's the Western Athletic Conference tournament, not a tournament you think is not very good? Correct, yes. (laughs) That would be the whack-ass tournament. (laughs) 
Hold on. Western Athletic. Uh, mm, I don't have the rest of that. I'll work it out later. Um, yeah, I feel I feel like because we're we're talking um, so much about like the draft rankings and the mock draft and how we think about and rank players and things like that, that there should be some huge build up to like um, prospects week. Like there will be an unprecedented amount of video and reports and coverage. But it's like if you're listening to this and you're this far into it, like you probably followed our stuff last year. Uh, you know that we're going to do some pretty in depth mock drafts that we'll probably get to. You know, just scratching the surface of uh, stalking these scouting directors to be like, hey, he was here. Then he was there. Then he was here. <laughs> I heard his wife does not like how he does not bring out the trash when she asked him to. Um, and we're going to actually have a, is it, I guess, Draft Prospects Week is like the draft version of Prospects Week. I don't know if you figured out the branding yet. Yeah, like we'll do some sort of pre-draft package of stuff. And then we'll have our um, our attempt to woge the draft. Uh, we'll probably have some sort of chat. We'll have multiple mock drafts. We'll have a bunch of rankings. Uh, we'll have some articles explaining about you know, larger topics, which I feel like people um, respond more to those than I think they would. So we should probably do more of those. Yeah, so we're going to do all that stuff. Uh, we both have pretty busy next couple weeks coming up, but I think now that we are in draft season where draft talk is um, of interest to people more than it is normally, I think we might um, stay stay right on this podcast train for the keeping it weekly uh, as best we can. Uh, and then right when it comes around draft time, I'd like to think that we'll be doing some version of uh, you know, like day after the draft, like day after day one of the draft, like here's all the day one picks, here's like a quick rundown. And then maybe mm-hmm. we'll do a pod right after that where it's like, hey, 30 teams, we're going to do two minutes on each team, 60-minute podcast. And then here's the here's the timestamps for all your teams. And um, There you go. You can run through and get the two minutes you need. That's a good idea. Because I definitely don't want to do five minutes on every team because that would be a really long No, it would take too long. <laughs> we'll probably end up going five minutes on one team, but I'm sure... You know, like the Red Sox have a lot of picks. We might just go 45 seconds on them. So that will be all for this uh, edition of the podcast. There was much less Game of Thrones talk than there was last time. Um, So uh, I can do like, I don't know. I've brushed up against enough of it that I know some of the things that are going on, but I don't care enough about it to talk about it. All right. Give give me like a 30-second rundown. Like what do you feel like has been happening this season? Um, I saw one of the episodes from like a hotel room in Philly – while I was seeing the high school uh, team, and everyone was, like, filing into a crypt for safety, even though there was an undead army, uh, which seemed dumb. But um, Even you, a non-watcher of the show, was able to put two and two together. (laughs) So there was that part, and then um, I don't know who the lady with, like, the Nancy Kerrigan haircut is, but she seems mean. Yep, that's. I would say that's the most identifiable uh, character at this point. Wait, no, it's not Nancy Kerrigan. Um, who's the? Is it Donna Hamill? <laughs> Dorothy Donna Hamill. Wow, this is this is a real early reference for Dorothy Hamill. Yeah, I don't know how um, I know that name, but I've heard it enough from yes! my parents that I can identify. Like, oh, that's they're talking about a specific person who I can't tell you anything else about. Yeah, it's not. She, I don't think it's a great look for her, uh, but she's basically evil incarnate, so I'm not sure her look is of that much importance. Oh yeah, I don't think it matters. Yeah, <laughs> it's more the vibe and the actions, I think, than the haircut. She's angry though, much angrier than like Dorothy Hamill. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Dorothy Hamill. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Seventy six Winter Olympics. What are you going to do if there's like a 2020 draft prospect and it turns out it is like the son of, or grandson or whatever would be appropriate age-wise of Dorothy Hamill? Isn't Andre Agassi's kid draft eligible? On the board, in fact. 
Oh, yeah. 2020 board, the son of Andre Agassi and Steffi Graf is on the board. I did not draw any attention to this. Uh, it just happened in the last few days. You can now find Jaden Agassi on the board. Um, that's, uh, He's okay. I've seen him. Yeah, I remember you said he was okay. Uh, I, t- I talked to someone who has seen him, and they also said he was okay. And I'm like, all right, we'll throw him on there. That feels like the lowest we should go for the 2020 class. <laughs> for now, like, picking guys out, like, primarily because of their last name. Like, that, that feels, like, low enough. Yeah, I've also found that they're... I mean, maybe this is just because, like, the good programs are good programs when it comes to high schools. We've had a lot of guys that are, like, teammates of a 2019 draft prospect that have popped up on these future lists. Yeah. Um, which, obviously, those guys are easier to find because those are the teams scouts are watching right now. Right. Uh, but they're also typically good programs. That's where the good players tend to be. So, like, I don't think we're wrong to think that, you know, five of the top seven 2021 high school players are all on teams that we're seeing normally anyway. So we will hopefully see you guys next week. Uh, there will probably be more draft talk. And uh, I think once we finish these lists up, there'll probably be some um, tweaks to the minor league list talk. Um, but I'm guessing that Ooh, might yeah. come right after the draft, if I had to guess. Yes. And I may be podcasting from somewhere with a fruity drink on a beach at that point. That's good. I don't think when I take my uh, therapist-mandated vacation that I'll pod. <laughs> Mine's court-mandated, so I feel like I probably still should. <laughs> Bye, everybody. See you later.